you're listening to an Electrical Industries Charity podcast. Before we get started, it's important to let you know that we're going to be talking about complex issues which may be triggering, so we hope that you only listen if you feel that you're in the right headspace to do so. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description of this episode's content. These stories and this podcast are unique and personal to the people we're speaking with, and the views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent those of the Electrical Industries Charity. So, let's jump in. Hello and welcome to our podcast. Um, I'm Marcella MacArthur. I'm a Mental Health and Welfare Officer for the Electrical Industries Charity. Joining me today is Ross Hislop. Um, Ross began his journey of recovery in 1993, which led him to a career in psychotherapy. Over the years, Ross has worked in primary and secondary schools, working alongside children who have struggled with anxiety. He's also delivered solution-focused intervention with teens affected directly by substance abuse. He has worked in rehabilitation centres for alcohol and drug misuse and laterally has developed his own course model of recovery to recover that which has been lost within you. A great passion within Ross is hill walking, which led him to launch his company, Scouting About, a great green space approach to counselling and coaching, offering walk and talk retreats, working with individuals and groups to help bring connection back into your life. So welcome, Ross. Firstly, thank you very much for having us on today and it's a pleasure to speak about addiction, something that is very close to my own heart and uh, as you mentioned, I've been in recovery or I began rather my journey of recovery in 1993. Uh, Unknown to myself, I went out to a party when I was about 14 and didn't crawl home until I was in my early 20s. It was then I sought guidance from a counsellor myself and very soon realised that there were many reasons to why my behaviour had escalated um, from being what you would see as recreational to destructive. So, Ross, thank you for that. And obviously, we have a great relationship working with you with the Electrical Industries Charity with some real great success stories. Um, some of the industry insights, um, we do know that powdered cocaine use has gone up 200%. Cannabis use has gone up, alcohol 200%, and specifically cannabis use in the under 21s has massively increased. And what we are finding is around 82% of cases reported to the charity have actually experienced a traumatic event in their life but never sought help for therapy. Is this something that you're seeing reoccurring? Okay, so my definition of addiction is any behaviour that gives us temporary relief and pleasure, but also has negative consequences into which the individual will return to time and time again. To answer your question on what are the signs, Marcella, I would classify it as having three components. Firstly, craving the addictive substance or behaviour. Secondly, engaging in the addictive substance or behaviour in order to experience a pleasure or a temporary relief again of some kind and take you away from an inner pain. Now that pain could be known or unknown. And then finally, the last one, it's the inability to give the substance or the behaviour up. You just keep going back to it. And, um, you know, there was a model of addiction that we, we, we looked at, which was like Rat Park, and we had two rats that were in a cage. And... Um, you left one with water and one with cocaine and water. 
and the rat would just keep going back to the cocaine and water until it died fundamentally and that was what they based the whole thesis of addiction on up until a decade ago and they looked at the model that they had uh, studied and they went well there's only two two rats in a cage that doesn't have any activities it doesn't have any uh, you know family or friends so they completely remodeled the study and they put you know a swing park theme park family siblings, you know, dozens of rats in the park and again did exactly the same experiment with cocaine and water and water and what they found was dramatically different and um, then that led us to have a new understanding of addiction around about addiction coming from a loss of connection or feeling disconnected from themselves or indeed their environment. Wow, that's really interesting. So what would you say um, is behind the increase of drugs and alcohol, which has led to addiction? Obviously, we've just came out of a pandemic. We were locked down for two years. Do you think that that's been a major contributory factor? So as I started to touch on in your last question, it's my belief and it's, it's my personal belief. This is the this is the area that I sit in when I'm thinking about it, that addictions come from an emotional loss and they exist, that behaviour or that addiction exists to soothe a pain that's resulting from any kind of loss. So trauma and abuse, as we define them, are certainly surefire sources of loss, but they're far from the only ones. And the human infant and toddler is highly vulnerable creature and any emotional distress or stresses in the rearing or indeed the environment of which that child is brought up in can create long lasting wounds in the mind of an individual that will later try to soothe it or numb it with addictive behaviour. Now, in addition to things that happen that shouldn't happen, like abuse, there are things that, developmentally speaking, ought to happen that don't. So, for existence, any sustained sense of emotional disconnection with the parenting figure. Now, parenting, not necessarily being your biological parents, but your caregivers. So, if you've got a sense of any emotional disconnection with your caregivers or parenting figures that can often happen when one parent or indeed caregiver is excessively stressed or preoccupied over a long period of time. This is the capacity and it has that sort of impact, especially if the child is very sensitive. Now, in a stress society like ours, with fewer and fewer supportive resources for parents, this is becoming more and more common. So many of us, whether we know it or not, are all acutely traumatised or have indeed faced extreme adversity as children. These kind of lingering challenges can go on right through into adulthood. And yes, we can be grateful for the things that didn't happen or we could be grateful that things, oh, my life wasn't as bad as wee Jimmy's life or wee Tommy's life down the road. But we also shouldn't discount or minimise the pain we carry from childhood, even if it didn't result from severe neglect or abuse. You know, a child, um, you know, the difficulty in, in, in our development years uh, and we, we, we have to move school because dad changes his job or we have to move house or there's a grandparent that we were particularly close to or a pet passes away. Um, even if those external factors were 
hidden from us. Mum or dad or that caregiver that has lost a loved one is under a period of stress. They're in their own grieving process. So then the caregiver goes from being all in and all supportive and then having to withdraw to deal with their own emotional pain and can't be as available for for, for us as children. Uh, so trauma, I think what we have to do is reduce the, any, any impact that it has on our development we see as trauma. It doesn't have to be a 9-11, a tsunami or a bombing in Belfast for it to be a trauma. Yeah, I understand. So for you to hear the statistic of 82% of cases that the charity are dealing with in regards to addiction, that doesn't come as a surprise to you then? Absolutely not, because society is becoming more and more traumatised. And what, what I mean by that is becoming more and more addicted. Um, you know, and then you get into it, the structure of which we inhabit. It thrives on us being disconnected because, you know, like... Well, you know, you're speaking about addiction and we think of just drugs and alcohol. Addiction can be anything. It can be cosmetic surgery. It can be, um, you know, well, that clothes lead, shopping. Yeah, yeah. That does lead me on to the next question, Ross. Um, okay. Because so. I think, you know, we all think of this word addiction and it's like we're automatically thinking of someone who's addicted to alcohol. They've got, a, you know, a, a drugs um problem but you're absolutely right you know we're seeing it more and more with the, the social media on Instagram and other platforms people becoming addicted to their phones they can't put their phones down they're going to the toilet they're taking their phones um, and again when like you've said is um, and I've noticed this in particular it's the the, the rise in people getting tweakments is it tweakments is it you know full-on plastic surgery and these are all addictions in some in some way or form at some time yeah so the whole system preys um it's a social validation feedback loop that preys on our own vulnerability and all of us are vulnerable um, and all of us are very very perceptible and because we've lost connection to who we are or what we think we are in order to manage those earlier traumas what we do is we step away and we adapt so when you say multiple personalities you immediately think of some kind of psychiatric um, establishment and that this is some kind of disorder but We've all got multiple personalities. We show different people different sides of ourselves. Predominantly three. There's the part of me that only me knows about. Then there's a part of me that my very close and intimate friends know about. And then there's a part of me that I take to work. So just in that analogy I've given you, there's three sections of self. And when we have had to step away from ourselves because, you know, we might have had such an impact as a child through poverty or adversity and somewhere a voice in our head goes, I will never allow this to happen to me again. And we develop a personality. You know, a lot of people that go out to be bullies were bullied as children. And we develop personalities. So the whole of this society structure is actually based on the fact that we don't know who we are because, you know, the cosmetic industry that you just mentioned, it's worth billions. Well, what's that telling us? The drug industry is worth bulty billions. If you go and look at the statistics of how much tax revenue alcohol brings into our system, yet we know the destructive um costs that it has to our society but it yields such an impact into our economy that 
we wouldn't take it out. Now, if we knew the impact of alcohol and we went back 200 years, it would never have been made legal. And um, to answer your question around about social networks, social media, etc., there's a, because you always reflect to this, I say it all the time, um, there's a French philosopher called Bias Pascal that wrote, all of humanity's problems still f- stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's a line that I repeat frequently, and in the era of smartphones and social media, it's easy to forget how striking that, that is that it was wrote in the 1600s. And as you say, there are, if you imagine that in order for a child to develop, there has to be a thing called attunement and attachment. We've got this the attachment theory. We've got to be able to attach to our caregiver. So we've got parents walking down the street and their energy, if you like, their intention is going towards a smartphone and they're carrying a child in the arm. Well, what message is that unconsciously sending to the child? It's sending to the child that they're not as important as the phone. But then let's bring that into our age group. We've got husbands sitting there's a television on in the room. There's kids running about, husbands scrolling through Facebook, not even reading things and liking it. And the wife's sitting there scrolling through Instagram and the kids are sitting on Snapchat. There's absolutely zero connection going on. And that then stems us back to my first question. That's my belief of addiction. I don't think addiction per se is real. I think we seek any behaviour that's going to give us temporary relief in order to soothe ourselves. We're self-soothing creatures by nature. And when that level of disconnection is felt, our propensity is towards anything that's given us the illusion of feeling complete, even if it is only momentarily. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And your analogy of, you know, the family all sitting in the the TV room and someone's on Snapchat, dad's on Facebook. It's like you're all present, but no one's really present. Yeah. You know, you see that you see that often, and I do remember my my own dad saying, "All you young ones are going to have sore shoulders because all you're doing is looking down onto mobile phones." Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, um, so obviously, if we've touched on uh, you know some issues with people, and you know something's kind of striking a chord with them, um, what strategies would you recommend um, if they do recognize recognize signs of addiction? Because you always talk about replacing a bad habit with a good habit. Right. I just kind of took a deep breath in there. If you if we'd have been on camera, I'd, so I'd rather no. I'd rather not speak to that question in terms of good or bad. But if by good you mean positive, healthy, nourishing, then I'd say that if it's good, it's probably a passion and not an addiction. Passions can be really consuming of time and energy, but they also feed our soul and they also feed our sense of being alive. They feed our sense of wholeness as a person. Now, addictions provide fleeting pleasure of gratification, but never leave you feeling satisfied. And the same activity could be a passion for me, but an addiction for another. One might be a wine enthusiast enjoying the refined pleasures of the drink that that has to offer the subtle undernotes and enjoy the whole passion around about its creation while another person's love for wine masks a fear of his own mind in a sober state. So to take a non-substance example, right, like in work, somebody might be passionate about social activism 
and they might work tirelessly for a cause while their colleague might be a workaholic and their relationship with the same activity is completely different. So it depends on the energy of which one pursues the activity and what happens when the activity comes to an end. So there may be a letdown after a big event, but does the person feel a sense of basic worth in the absence of the adrenaline and the long hours? Does he or she find comfort in other parts of life? Uh, is he or she left feeling irritable or restless or less at ease with the people in their life? So the activity or feeling to which one is addicted to may be in itself considered positive or liable, but the energy of addiction always turns a good thing into a harmful one. In the end, it's less about the object of addiction, but the relationship that one has to it. Is that helpful? So Ross, we have experienced within the charity a lot of recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse. Um, is there any skills um, that supports successful recovery? Is it down to willingness? Is it a certain type of personality? And we often hear this um, term, you have to hit your rock bottom. Is, is that kind of what you feel? Unfortunately, yes, for the majority. Very few people have their last one gin and tonic and say, that's it, I'm giving up alcohol forever. Usually it's been forced upon them or it's been a question that they've been asking over a long, pre prolonged period of time. And, you know, the... It's very intricate in a way of attempting, but you, anyone listening to this podcast will hear a particular song or have a particular smell and their brain will immediately remember where they were and who that belonged to or who they were with. Now, if that event has a negative consequences that triggers an earlier memory of trauma and then the way that you mask that was by using substance misuse, drugs, alcohol, behaviours, then unconsciously there's a pain that's been reawakened and the way that you dealt with it before is the way that you know fixed it. So then that, so a relapse occurs long before the person, so if you classify the relapse as the person picking up to use drugs or alcohol, that's not actually correct. The relapse happens weeks, months before. Uh, they pick up because what starts to happen is the individual or the organism starts to be put under a particular sense of stress which puts them under a feeling of threat and then the only way that they have known that they can manage that behaviour is by using a set of strategies to numb and soothe their self. So it's back to, you know, not all traumatised people become addicts but all addicted people were traumatised in some way. And when that trauma comes back up to the surface again, we immediately marry it to what we did before to manage it. And, you know, we can take any fish out of dirty water, Marcella, and put it in clean water. And I'll swim around in the clean water while it's there. But when we take it out of the clean water and we present it back into the dirty water, and that could be family, 
um, people from your past, ex-employers, ex-people you worked with that you left um, with negative results, then that's going to make an association in your mind and then the mind wants to soothe it in the way that it did in the past. So for me, when you're dealing with addiction or these self-soothing strategies that we've emplaced, we really have to develop a set of non-negotiable behaviours that nothing or no one can tempt us into and we've got to learn to say no to ourselves and develop a very flexible mindset about how we start to relate to ourselves again because we're not using substances or alcohol to manage our feelings. That's our responsibility to start to manage them ourselves. And that can be a challenge even if you're in sobriety and you've had 10 years of sobriety or 20 years of sobriety underneath your belt. And especially when we're faced with crises like the pandemic that we've just come out of, of you know the looming war in Ukraine we're consistently being bombarded by threat. Ross, it's probably time for us to wrap up now. I can't thank you enough for giving up your time to speak to us today. And for the audience, oh, um, bear in mind we're here. Ross is available. Ross Hislop Counselling Services. If you're part of the industry, please reach out. You can get us on our helpline at 0800 652 1618. So if you or a family member have been affected by today's topic, please reach out. And Ross, we'll speak again. And thanks very much. Thank you very much, Marcella. Good talking to you. And you. Take care. If you or somebody else working in the electrical or energy industries is in need of support, or you wish to donate to the electrical industries charity, please get in touch via email at support at electricalcharity.org or you can call us on 0800 652 1618.